Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 37 of the True Crime Podcast, Murder With My Mother, where I talk murder with my mother, who is sitting beside me. Woo! You can see. So for all of you guys who have been listening to us for the last almost two years. Yeah, it'll be two years in October. Holy shit. This is what I look like, Danica, the mother, or I'm not the mother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm other people's mother, but I'm not her mother. She is my mother. Well, you are my mother in some ways. True. Definitely a little more appropriate than me. And true, true. So yeah, whatever. Here we are. Um, We told you guys we had some like pretty exciting things coming. So this is it. Hopefully you're not all let down. (laughs) Pretty exciting. It's like a date from Tinder. Like what the fuck? That's what you actually look like. (laughs) That always happens to me anyway. Yeah, this is us. So Brent, if you're out there, which we know you are, if. Brent VLB. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, if you're still listening, now that you have your new life on the island. Yeah. Hopefully you didn't forget about us. Um, but we're live, bitches. Yes, we are live. And so today we are obviously going to dive into another true crime case, which we know you guys are all tuned in for. Um, but before we get into that, obviously we have some social media to let you guys know about. We have our Patreon, which we hope you know if you guys love us go and support us on patreon so it's murder with my mother podcast um we have tiktok which we fucking suck at because (laughs) i'm 30 as you guys know remember and i'm 29 perpetually but i still don't know how to use tiktok but i'm gonna fucking learn it that's good that's my goal for 2022 there you go that's a pretty good goal it's like (laughs) like i still can't use snapchat but Maybe okay. TikTok will be easier. Yeah, TikTok <laughs> is not. I literally made a reel and it took me like three hours. And Kiers has to tell everybody that. He's like, my mom tried to make a video and it took her three hours. I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, it's a good thing so. his grandmother didn't make it. <laughs> Still be working on it. So, yeah. So, I mean, we got to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Fursense, the dog dry shampoo. Um, always supporting murder with my mother. And um, I just want to say as a sidebar to First Sense that if you have a quick date and your hair is a little greasy <laughs> and you didn't have time to go to the drugstore, <laughs> you know you know shower? where I'm going. You know where I'm going. Yes. Well, hair takes a long time to dry, but if well, you put some First Sense in, yeah. no, you're I right. didn't have any allergic reactions, smelled like lavender. Perfect. That is one of the popular scents. Yeah. So... Another thing is, I mean, you guys can see us now, so I can't be like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, the baby is not with us. Obviously, um, she stayed at home with her dad, so you won't hear her. So there'll be no breastfeeding in this episode. No, which usually I am totally doing. If that's why you tuned in, you'll be let down. In case you thought it was murder with my mother and murder with a breastfeeding mother, it's not. That's not this episode. So, yeah. Maybe next time. Yeah. If our viewership doesn't go up. (laughs) Yeah, then we'll be on OnlyFans, yeah. Nanatoes. Yes. And I'll just let you, you know, support Take me over. with your toes. Yeah. So, yeah, um, on the true crime front, locally, nothing new to report, really. Trina Hunt, there's been no movement with that. Um, Apparently, the suspect, who we all know, has been seen uh, vacationing around and stuff like that. So, yeah. Just his same life old, hasn't same old. yeah 
Yeah. It's really terrible, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Yep. Um, Naomi on Atera, we haven't heard anything of Reggie. What is his name? Uh, Obi? Reggie? Yeah, I think he is still in prison. He didn't get bail, so that was good. good. Yep. Um, another thing domestically kind of related, obviously, that we covered, um, Gabby Petito. So Brian Laundrie, as we know, committed suicide and they actually found a book which we I think we said that in probably like four or five episodes ago I don't even remember anyway they found a book basically it was his you know suicide note and oh, now you guys are gonna see how much I talk with my hands so that's exciting <laughs> um, but yeah so they uh, published his book they ended up publishing it and basically in there he goes and says um, that Gabby had fallen when they were going through a creek she hit her head so bad, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, which on her autopsy, it does note that she had blunt force trauma. And that's not how she died, though. So apparently he Wasn't tried to keep strangled? her alive, tried to keep her alive, um, helped her. She was, this is, again, this is all according to Brian Laundry. So who knows? But he says that basically he didn't want to watch her suffer anymore, put her out of her misery, um, and strangled her. Yeah. So well, apparently I don't know why you wouldn't just drive her to a hospital. Well, apparently they were very, very far away. Well, you know, fuck. If she dies room. on the way to the hospital, at least you have least. the cred of saying like I was on the way to the hospital when she died. Yeah. It will. So and that's just. I it. mean, we can't even prove whether he did that or whether he didn't do that. Yeah. But that sounds a little sus to me. It does sound a little sus. Um, obviously, again, we won't know because he took all of that. He wrote it down and told us his side of the, the story. Yeah, because that's how incredible is that? Gabby doesn't have a legacy because no. she's dead. So Exactly. So, anywho. All, yeah. yeah, I guess it's irrelevant. Uh, hopefully, she didn't suffer and she went quickly. And, yeah. I mean, it sucks because she was a young life that was lost too early and mm-hmm. he took like, it from yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. But kind of segueing into our episode today, um, another case that the case that we're going to cover today actually is kind of like a mystery it's probably one <laughs> of the mysterious most more mysterious cases that we've done um because the killer is never apprehended we will talk about the killer but he's never brought to justice there's no trial and you guys will see why um it's kind of a unfinished sorts you know, I mean, what do you think? It's kind of... Uh, I think it's definitely unfinished for the families of the victims. Yeah. And I think, you, as you'll see, there is a lot of frustrating stuff in here. There is. So without With that, further ado... We will hop right into episode 37 and you guys can see us now. So. Hey, y'all. <laughs> it was July 1993 in Indianapolis. Okay. So Danica has a problem saying Indianapolis <laughs> and she wants to call it... No. Indianapolis? No, I don't. I just thought, I always thought reason? it was like a metropolis of Indiana, but it's actually a place <laughs> called Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indianapolis. dumbass. Well, fuck, you <laughs> raised me. Um, which is in Indiana. So for those of you who are not totally, aka myself. Danica, yeah. <laughs> are not familiar exactly where that sits in the States. It is in between, it's right beside Illinois, which is not Illinois. <laughs> No one and, thought it was. Oh, some people do. <laughs> okay. And Ohio. So I think somewhere on the top or the bottom, there's Kentucky, but it's right there. So this is kind of important because Indianapolis is right on the border of Ohio. 
So Indiana and Ohio are side by side. That will come later on in the episode. That will come back and be It'll more relevant. It will become important. Exactly. So, like I said, it was July 1993 when 32-year-old Roger Goodlett left his mother's house one night. After 48 hours without a word from him, his mother, Catherine... Did he live with his mother? Ed, he was uh, very... They were very close. I couldn't find anywhere that he lived with her, but Every they were Every story very starts close. that way. Yeah. <laughs> so they were really close, and it was really out of character for him to not be in touch with her, which we can totally, you know, get. Because if I didn't talk to my mom for, like, maybe three hours, she's like, are you alive? Same with me. I'm like, are you alive? Did someone kill you? Like, if, if you ever heaven forbid, are murdered, and someone goes to your phone, like, that's what they'll see. So that's And that'll awesome. be sus also. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they'll be like, oh. So she, as a worried mother would, goes and tries to file a missing person report because it's been 48 hours. But the police say, oh, no, we're actually, you need to wait 30 days. So we already know that the police can be a little... Well, what wordage should I use here? Well, maybe don't use wordage that's too discriminatory <laughs> you can see me now, because so. we might need them one day. <laughs> yes, and as you guys will learn, my facial expressions usually divulge anything I'm thinking before, or and if my hand doesn't give it away, then my face will. And I'm just dead inside. And <laughs> <laughs> we switched. Yeah. So, like I said, to her surprise, they said, yo, lady, we know your kid's gone, but you need to wait. And it, a month. Exactly. And you think by the time someone's 32 years old, like, you know me pretty well. If I just stopped talking to you for two days, you would definitely know that something Well, I would up. have anxiety for a couple of days that you were mad at me <laughs> over something I did that I didn't realize. And you then would. after that, I would be like, hmm, I yeah. wonder if Danica, something happened to huh. her. <laughs> well, obviously, his family doesn't want to wait. Just like I wouldn't wait either. So what do they do? They hire a private investigator. And this private investigator's name is Virgil Vandergriff. Virgil is a fucking cool name that's, for a private investigator. That's my mom's cat's name. Yes. So. But Virgil, that's a swanky name. It is. So Virgil Vandergriff is a professional private investigator in Indianapolis, and he is a retired major crime investigator from the Marion County Sheriff's Department. So just weeks later, and already working with Roger's family, Virgil gets another call from the family of a man named Alan Broussard. And this is another man who is suddenly missing from the Indianapolis area. He communicated with Mary Wilson, who is another investigator with the Indianapolis Police Department. That fucking word is in almost every other <laughs> sentence. So, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. The two detectives began investigating, both convinced that these two crimes were related. Because it was easy to see that there were a lot of similarities <laughs> like, like between... Similarities, like identical similarities. Yeah. The two missing men literally hung out at the same places. They were the same height, the same weight. They worked the same type of job. And, and they even dated the same guy. <laughs> so these men were both from the gay community in Indianapolis, which is a very tight-knit community. Any communities that are, you know, communities these people are out they're out especially together especially the lgbtq2s plus community yep. because i think especially back in the 90s for sure it was uh, a lot of people weren't out yet a lot of yep. people were still closeted and they were very tight-knit compared to even yeah. other communities so obviously they're the community was kind of in they're scared because this is not well, the first yeah. man to go missing this is now 
publicly the second man in a very short period of time. And when they searched their houses, there was nothing to indicate that there had been a struggle or anything. There was no, nothing at their houses. So they just simply vanished. Well, and I don't know, also there was quite a bit of discrimination at that time. And I think it was probably let go that, okay, these guys are just grownups. They left home. They ran away. Yeah, they ran away. They just ran away like all the other, maybe they were hitchhiking somewhere and they ran away. So... They started putting up posters, as people do when they go missing, and tips started flooding in. So one tip that was actually pretty good and led them into, they didn't know it yet, but the right direction, was the night that Roger disappeared, someone saw him getting into a blue car with Ohio license plates. So like we said, Indiana, right next to Indianapolis. (laughs) Okay. Indiana, Ohio, right on the border. Another tip led them into a darker part of town with some kind of like underground sex work, sex trafficking ring. But as promising as that sounded, it actually turned out to be (laughs) a dead end. So um, some of the publishers from some of the local gay magazines actually let investigators know that they were, there were men, other men that had, were missing from the community. So what does that usually tell everybody and especially authorities? I mean... That sounds like a serial killer to me. Exactly. Ding, 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 ding. So they now thought that they had a serial killer on their hands. And as we know, serial killers try to target communities where they think that no one's going to notice or no one's going to care. Or, yeah, they're being discriminated against. So it's going to be just kind of swept under the rug because no one actually wants to discuss the uncomfortable notion that someone could be. Yeah. So we know about that. I mean... Locally, in the 90s, 2000s, there was a big case, which we have not covered, but the case of the missing women in and around the downtown east side, um, which now we obviously know it was perpetrated by Robert Pickton, Willie Pickton. Um, but they knew for a long time, and people were kind of, you know, you have to trust your gut, like we always talk about. You have to trust your gut. People are going missing. Even people who are living a more transient lifestyle, it doesn't mean, obviously, yes, sometimes they will lose touch and they'll, you know, kind of in and out, whatever. But but they still have their faithful yeah. that they keep in touch with. Like, even, yeah. even if they're not allowed to live at home or, you know, they're having issues with substance abuse, whatever, people still know when these people are missing. It's just not as publicized mm-hmm. and it's easier to be swept under the rug and... Nobody wants to watch a story about someone from the downtown east side that's missing until it's 40 people. Which is, yeah, which is crazy. So now in Indianapolis, there were now that they knew of eight men missing since 1991, which, yeah, that's a neon flag. So, yeah. Police find the man who had a relationship with both Alan and Roger, as well as one of the other missing men. So obviously he's going to be the main suspect. Because yeah, that guy was know. probably like, fuck, yeah, right, man. He got a broken picker, you know? I bet he was pretty hot, though, that. if everyone's fucking him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably was pretty hot. So they're always really hot. Yeah. Like gay men are always really, really it's, good looking. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, they searched his home. They searched his home with cadaver dogs. They searched everything. And he was very, like, very, yeah, very, like, very... Yeah, like, fuck, I didn't do search. anything. Yeah, yeah, he was... Super, super cooperative. I think that also has to be a little scary when you look at the amount of people that have been railroaded into crimes that they didn't do. Oh, my gosh. So can you imagine, like, just thinking, like, this could go one of two ways. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So 
Three months later, there were no new leads. They had the Ohio license plate, but how many people live in Ohio? Probably a fucking a lot. So, <laughs> you know, and it was a blue car. So they just, you know, they're looking for a blue car. Like how you have to narrow it down. So there's no substantial leads that are getting them anything. Did At this other point, did that. they have a description of what the person driving the car looked no, like? No, they had nothing. So, I mean, obviously people in the community and in these places are going to probably be a little more aware, start to pay a little more attention. But then in a man came forward and his name was Tony Harris and he came forward with a very terrifying tale. I'm having a deja vu moment right now. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you record with someone else in this nice studio? Maybe. Well, the man, Tony Harris, actually has a recording. So I'm going to play it for you guys because... Hearing his account it's is actually creepy. It's very creepy, yeah. So hold on, let's see, let's get it. A lot of stuff it, after this recording begins to. Yeah, this is kind of what pushes them way in the right direction because this is a very, very big lead. So hold on, let's go here. We actually have some audio. Okay, let's go another. Led to another within 15 minutes. I'm in his car going to what I've been told to be his employer's home in Hamilton County. The house was a very dusty place to be. Mannequins all over in different postures. I asked him about the mannequins. He told me that the owner didn't want to be alone. I'm gonna get some mannequins. I was standing in the pool. He began to drop hints, you know, as to what he was into. He placed a hose around my neck. This was not an attack. This was asking, are you into this? Uh, he liked to be strangled, so he asked me to strangle him or to hold his throat, so I did. He fell unconscious down into the water. Within a minute, he came to, looks directly up at me and tells me of the rush that he has. The, exhilaration of the whole experience for him he wanted to reciprocate with me i uh i allowed this he got away with his hands on your neck once he starts with this process you don't want him to stop you want it to continue he could uh, bring on a sort of ecstasy he told me what turned him on about it was seeing the eyes bulge out of the head, seeing the lips swell up and at times crack, the discoloration in the skin. He spoke as if he was in some sort of ecstasy. Or yeah, I don't. For me, I mean, that wouldn't do it. The bulging of the eyes, probably. Well, I I don't know. Like, get my rocks off, but but you don't know until you try it, really. <laughs> Hey, that's huh. my motto. That seems like you're uh, <laughs> speaking <laughs> from experience. No, I, I have never tried that. Like that's truthfully. nice to know. Good. However, I've heard that from a lot of people. Not not that anyone's asked me to do it. Or that doesn't hasn't come up in a whole lot of conversation <laughs> in my life. But anyway, he went back with this guy. I would have been fucking out with the mannequins. Like <laughs> as soon as I saw the mannequins, I would have been like, uh uh-uh. uh. I don't know. Yeah, you would have been you would have been intrigued by the mannequins. No, I would honestly, have been like, uh-uh. mannequins even in the store freak me out. So imagine if you went back with this guy, like for a good time, and he had all these ma- mannequins. I mean, obviously, if he's like, oh, they're not my mannequins. They're the you know, I'm just the caretaker. 
I don't know. Even fucking like, still, I'd be out with the mannequins. Yeah. So basically, Tony went there. They had some drinks. They did a little bit of cocaine. And they went for the swim. And you heard what happened, obviously, it kind of one thing led to another. Strangle him with a pool hose. Yeah, the pool hose. So he actually, after he did it to, so this man said his name was Brian Smith, which is probably the fakest name I've ever heard. So I would Very be like. Very generic. Hmm, yeah. Brian Smith. Sorry to anyone named, any of our listeners named Brian Smith. I don't know, though, that names when you're having a sexual liaison that's like <laughs> pretty <laughs> random is going to really be important. Yeah. B.S. Brian Smith, B.S. There we go. Got to get a lot of BJs. Anyway, so um, he didn't get any BJs, I guess, because he was almost... Anyway, Brian Smith asked him after he put the hose around his neck, can I do it to you? And he pretty much said to him, like you heard in the recording, it's going to be the best orgasm you ever had in your life. So I don't understand. Maybe someone can write in, like, are you actually having an orgasm while you're being strangled or are you just being strangled? Well, it's probably like the rush and the thrill is what leads you to the orgasm is what I would believe. it's supposed to be the best orgasm ever. So it must be like in conjunction. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's probably like the that's what's going to push you to have like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then like, you know. Yeah, but. Well, in this in this case, I'm gonna have to read through some more research. <laughs> yeah, maybe you let us know next time. So he let him try it. Tony let him let Brian do it because he's like, okay, wow, that looked probably like that looked I mean, awesome. I I think if you get to that point, whatever. Yeah, he came back. So there you go. But the mannequins, still. the mannequins still kind of freaked out. But anyway, so he's like, okay, my turn. Brian was like, my turn. You know, yeah. turn around. So Tony <laughs> Tony said that he started to get afraid because he, this man was not letting go of him. So he, like anyone, like I would do, like if you see a bear, or, unless you're my mom who has just mace right in her mid-center <laughs> console of her car, um, you play like, you pretend that you're passed out or you play dead or whatever, right? So Tony said that he did this and when he came to... Apparently, the look on Brian Smith's face was like, what the fuck? Well, and we also have to say, Tony was actually six foot seven. <laughs> yeah, so, but good fucking thing because yeah, like I think he, that's he what was probably his... standing in the deep end and like not even up to his waist. So, so, so Brian Smith was like, uh oh. Like, yeah, well, that's probably why he didn't try again. Yeah. So, pretty much, Tony says, like, he gets a little suspicious and he says, like, is this what happened to this person and this person and this person? Because he knows that these people are missing. And obviously, if you're going to have an encounter like this, this is probably not very common. I don't know what's don't going know, on in like, Indianapolis. Yeah. But in this in this time, I mean, the 90s was wild. But <laughs> I don't oh, know yeah. if it was this wild. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, but he says right to him, I'm going to go to the police and I'm going to tell them about this. But he's like, oh, no, please don't go to the police because he's so tall. So obviously I think that that's kind of what saved him a little. So they used this information. The police were like, okay, that's probably what's been going on. Because if you can piece two and two together and this man's strangling people at this mansion. Tony also didn't really have a really good attention to detail. No. I mean, he knew some of the... So he knew that the driveway was really long and curvy, which is a good thing. Um, And he knew that there was a pool, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. And he said that he knew that there were... There was the word farm somewhere in the estate's name. 
But again, he said that this it was his employer's home. It wasn't even his home. So obviously, if you're trying to throw someone off your case, you're going to be like, oh, no, I don't live here. It's just my mom's yeah. house or whatever. You know, no, I've never you, used yeah. that one before. <laughs> I've never done that. So they tried to set up a sting and they pretty much got it so that, you know, he could set it up and say, oh, hey, like, come and meet me. But Brian Smith never showed up. They don't know if maybe he knew he got a he used his intuition and he didn't show up. But there were no leads after that. Again, he remembered the driveway. He remembered the farm. And that's pretty much it. So when Brian indicated that he lived in Ohio, because he told him, oh, I just come into town for work. But my my boss is out of town, so I'm, he's allowed me to use his his house. Probably not to strangle and have sex with men in the pool. But maybe. But maybe. I mean, I don't know. I didn't read the fine print. So, so. at this point, I'm pretty sure the FBI was also involved. Well, this is what happens because they basically, when Ohio kind of comes into the picture, they remember that this guy had an Ohio license plate. So at this time now, they're like, okay, Ohio obviously has had has something to do with this. So they looked into Ohio and they realized that these missing men in Indiana are just the tip of the iceberg. So between 1980 and 1990, which is 10 years, nine men had been found off of Interstate 70, mostly tossed over, like kind of in like this, the rub, like the the brush, the brush area, but always by a body of water. And they could ne- so they could never find any evidence. They could never find evidence. But they were all killed in the same yeah, manner. Yeah, they were all killed in the same manner, and they all happened to be part of the LGBTQ plus community, plus, two yeah. plus community. So they obviously had very striking similarities, and all the victims were partly unclothed and, like we said, found near water. And And they had all died of strangulation. They had all died of strangulation, and they were all from Indianapolis. So after realizing, five FBI profilers were sent to give a profile of this killer and what they thought that they would be looking for. So the profiler said that this man would be in his mid-40s, started in his early 30s, he would be married, he would be frustrated by his homosexual orient- orientation and will not stop until he is stopped. They start looking for matching properties based on the survivor's recollection. So in Hamilton County, investigators found a similar property and they think that it matches kind of what he was saying because it has farm in it, it has a big twisty driveway and they can tell that there's a pool and all this stuff. And so they traced this house back to a respected local businessman named Herbert Baumeister. And obviously that's not enough because Herbert Baumeister is a respected businessman, like we said. Married with children. He's married. He has two kids. Done Um, very well for himself. His father is a respected anesthesiologist. Well, used to be a respected anesthesiologist before he passed away. And so nobody would sign a warrant because what evidence is there? Especially this man claims that he worked for the person that lived there. So there's not even, Yeah, it could have just been Herb's worker. But then Tony is out at the bar one night and he sees Brian. He sees him. Brian Smith. Brian Smith. So he didn't see Tony because he kind of hid. And he asked a friend he's like can you go and follow that guy out to the parking lot and take down his license plate so when he gave the license plate to police it also led back to respected businessman herbert 
Baumeister. <clears throat> so Baumeister is a really, is it Baumeister? Is it Baumeister? Is it Baumeister? Uh, I'm I don't pretty know. sure it's Baumeister. It might be Baumeister. Baumeister. But I don't think so because if you see a picture of Herbert. <laughs> okay, I'm so Herbert. excited for you guys to see pictures of Herbert. Yeah. So they showed Tony a picture of uh, it's Herbert obviously his Baumeister. Herbert Baumeister's driver's license, and Tony says that's, that's Brian, Brian. So Mom's gonna go so, into some detail about Herbert. Here we go. Do you need this? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. Perfect. So Herbert Richard Baumeister was born to parents, successful parents, uh, Elizabeth and Doctor Herbert Baumeister Sr. In April of 1947, April the 7th, so that makes him an Aries. An Aries. Phew. <laughs> when we did the research about the serial killers that were born the most in what month, was there a lot of Aries? Uh, a lot. No, not really. A lot of Sag. A lot of Sag, yeah. which I'm surprised by. <laughs> <laughs> I might have dated a Sag or two, and they probably were both serial killers. So... Uh, Herbert was the oldest of four children, and uh, he his parents moved when he was in elementary school to an affluent neighborhood of the Butler Tarkington area of Indiana. Uh, he was had a pretty unremarkable childhood. He was just pretty normal as a younger kid, except for he did really have a fascination with dead animals, which, as which we know, we know is part of. I wonder if the he wet the bed. Triad. Well, he probably did. Lit fires. So he was actually obsessed with urine from a young age also. So I don't know that he actually wet the bed, but he... But he wanted everyone to wet his bed? Well, he wanted to know what urine would taste like, Mm. what it would be like to pee on someone. Mm. So he definitely did have some stuff about urine. I've never um, been curious Uh, about that. I think like... I haven't either when we were kids. <laughs> you think you had to no, think about it? No, but like when we were kids, we'd do funny stuff like, oh, put a pee in a jar and make, remember make when that it's apple remember juice when, or whatever. Remember when Dustin pissed in a thing and made David drink it? Yeah, and so. And he said it was Orange Crush? That's the fucked up thing is that some people that's have some. Anyway, Herbert Baumeister, that kid. So he, is. when he reached his teenage years, uh, he was one of these kids that was like, he. when you see a picture, it will kind of make more sense. He was, he was awkward. He was, you know, thin and white and kind of geeky. <laughs> and he didn't really have, um, he had like a weird personality. So Yeah, he was a weird guy. Like, he would say inappropriate weird shit to people, and he would play with dead animals on the road, and he never had friendship, so I think he was quite lonely. Mm-hmm. He actually um, put a dead crow on his teacher's desk. Which is hilarious. Yeah. Just it's kidding. That's horrible. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. funny. No. Uh, and he also urinated on his teacher's desk. I wonder if he got expelled. Um, so he, his parents were actually pretty affluent, and they had quite a bit of pull in the community. Well, and his dad was a doctor, so yeah, he probably so, you have to go through like the medical part where you just learn that what's normal and what's yeah, not so, before I your mean, specialty. It was, it was very, very. It was becoming more and more apparent as he got older and older that he was just like something was fucking up yeah, with like Herbert. Some, something was up with <laughs> Herbert. So he was actually diagnosed at seventeen years old with schizophrenia. And to our knowledge, he was never treated. Like, they got the diagnosis, and then they were like, 
okay, okay well now Herbert. we know what's up with go Herbert. Go your best life and go yeah. piss on stuff and continue your weird yeah. dead animals. Hmm. So he never still had any friends through high school. He tried to join the football team, but clearly when you see his photo, he didn't really fit in there not either. not a football teamer, no. Um, I don't know, like if he was pressured by his father or whatever, but... But also with the cover-up thing of his of his mental illness, like maybe because his, you have to think. Okay, this was in what the seventies probably. Yeah, 70s, so he 60s. was born in nineteen forty-seven. So, so 60s, it would have been the sixties, whatever. You know, the, my the mid sixties. But there was a very big stigma, which up until very recently there was. I mean, now like we've talked about. Mental health is, there's more awareness around well, mental Well, and mental health is like, if you don't have your mental health going for you, you feel well, like, like you can't even function. It's like if you break your arm. Function. If it's you break worse. your arm, you don't just not have a cast yeah, and let it be broken. Because it's like on well, the inside of your body. Yeah. But I'm, you know, like you get a cast for your broken arm. But you don't can you just... imagine, like, if you're diagnosed as a schizophrenic person, a person living with schizophrenia, then you're hearing the voices and everything yeah. else, which... I mean, I'm a little bit whatever about whether or not he was because he was functioning. He well, was, he was, he was doing weird stuff, but it was, yeah, kind of like more sociopathic, not well, we know, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he wasn't doing like schizophrenic stuff, really. No, he was doing see. psychopathic yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like he was, he was a murderer. He was definitely off. Yeah. So he did end up going to um, university. And he was in university. He just kept quitting university. He tried to go back four times, but he never actually graduated Sometimes university. university is not for everybody. I don't know. So he um, had had a series of jobs that basically his dad got him into. Like, yeah. his dad would be like, hey, want to hire my son? He's fucking great. But he's a little... <laughs> but he's really not. <laughs> he might piss on your desk. Or... Yeah. Um, but a friend had introduced him to a, uh, a co-worker had introduced him to a mutual acquaintance. So he actually got a girlfriend. Juliana? Yeah, Juliana. So he had a series of jobs. We'll talk about Juliana in a second. Um, and he was still trying to fit in in his jobs. Yeah. But he always, like, he was just kind of like an outcasty nerd. So he would always be looking up to, like, the higher-ups. And they would use him to, like, okay, you know, like be a coffee runner or do yeah. whatever. But he did Weird some... Herb. Send yeah. Weird Herb to get yeah. coffee. I don't even know if I would trust him around my coffee. <laughs> if you like to drink piss. Does your coffee taste like urine? Yeah. <laughs> Just apple juice? <laughs> but, Does so... apple juice taste like urine? <laughs> I don't know. I never drank pee before yet. I don't know with your... <laughs> yet? yet? Yeah, I, was wait- <laughs> I was waiting for you to catch on to that. Hey guys, it's Danica. I know you've heard our commercial of First Sense Dog Dry Shampoo, but now's your chance to get some for yourself and for your furry companion. Use promo code MWMM10 at checkout at www.firstsense.ca for 10% off your first sifter pack. These things are awesome. With the sifter pack, you can try all three scents, restorative cedarwood, purifying peppermint, and my personal favorite, Zen Lavender. That way, you can say goodbye to those stinky car rides home. I promise you and your fur baby are going to love this product. Now, back to Murder With My Mother. So... Baby braid. Um, so he he got progressively weirder. So one Which time... Which I wouldn't even think was possible. One time he was... Um, 
supposed to get a ride for all of his bosses to go to a Halloween party. And it was like bosses and wives and like important people in his in the company he was working at. I so he hired a hearse. But not just any hearse. A hearse with flashing lights <laughs> to drive them all to the Halloween Tommy party. Tommy should get a hearse with which flashing lights. Which I think lights. is fucking cool. To a Halloween party, yeah, I, think I think maybe is not as red flag-ish. Yeah. yeah. But. Uh, another thing he did, well, he was he got a really good job, actually, at the motor vehicle branch. And uh, one time he sent a guy, <laughs> a guy dressed in drag to go to work for him for no apparent reason. Which in itself isn't really, I mean, it's kind of funny and like, haha. But then when you look later of what he suspected of doing, it's yeah. like, ooh, okay, weird Yeah, Herb. I mean, in retrospect, Herb yeah. was pretty, I mean, Herb kind of showed a lot of signs. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just like, don't look at her. So, like don't we look at said, her. in 1971, somehow, I guess there's somebody for everybody in the world. Yes. Somehow he managed to marry college graduate Juliana Sater, uh, whom he met through a mutual friend, as I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was actually attracted to him. He was, I guess... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, beauty is in well, the eye of the beholder. Is, I mean... He wasn't, like, hideous. He had nice eyes. He has psycho eyes. Well, I don't know. You have to see you a You know what, though? Pictures. I've seen your type sometimes, so. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so she was attracted to him, and they also shared similar goals, uh, like to be entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and have their own business. Yeah. Uh, she, they ended up having three children. Oh, but one important part is six months after they were married, Herb's dad actually sent him to a mental institution for two months. That would give me a complex. Like, you just got married, and now well, your I, husband... I can't believe that your husband, that you stayed... Well, I guess I, guess I can believe it, but, like, yeah. Yeah. Did, right after they got married. <laughs> We're not can you believe about it? Right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Julie stayed with Herb, and she became a stay-at-home mom. And he eventually pissed on his boss's desk. <laughs> at, <laughs> at surprise, the, uh, surprise, Herb. Branch of Motor Vehicles. And he went through a series of odd jobs until 1988. So that's quite a stretch. Like yeah. 1971 to 1988, it was like a pretty unstable financial situation. Yeah. But Herb's about to fucking Hit have a big. good idea. Yeah. So he was always said to be... Um, like pretty controlling over his wife. Like they would have ideas together and whatever, but it, it always came down to what he said. Like he was. We all know someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's their idea. but So he eventually he was working at a thrift store and he was making basically shit wages. So he was seeing like how many families had the need for affordable things to buy and couldn't afford to clothe all their children and blah, blah, blah. So he opened he a, saw a little yeah, niche he saw in the market. Niche. Yeah. And he opened a... One thing about Herb is he is entrepreneurial. <laughs> he is, yeah. And he has some mannequins laying around, so that's probably where he got that's them. That's probably why, yeah. So he opened a um, community thrift store called Save-A-Lot Thrift. And the shop ended up being very, very successful. And uh, before long, they had two branches of it. Perfect, yeah. So it was so successful. Within three years, by 1991, which is pretty fast, Mm -hmm. uh, they were able to buy uh, an 18-acre estate with four bedrooms. Oh, and an indoor swimming pool, uh, riding stables, 
and all that kind of stuff. And it was called Fox's Hollow. Fox Hollow Farm. Farm. Oh. Yeah. So it's all coming together now. It was a rural estate, and it was in the fashionable uh, Westfield area. To onlookers, it looked like they were living the American dream, but anyone that got close realized, like, the house was a bit of a horde. It was pretty dusty. Those two were always fighting. She was actually not home a whole lot. She would go to their lake house. So she would often take the kids to his mom's house, actually. Yeah, in Lake. That was really easy for me to say. We know. Yeah, because you got all stumped over Indianapolis. Did you say it properly? Wawasi? No, Indianapolis. (laughs) No, I was making fun of you. So she would go uh, often alone. I think basically she fucking hated his guts but felt trapped. Like 100%. Really? Yeah. Because they had all like stuff he was a together. Dickhead and he was always. He was very distant. Oh, he was he a was distant father and a distant husband. And, and they only had sex six times in their whole marriage. They had sex six times in 25 and years. And they have three kids. So three of those times she swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, keeping it appropriate oh, as usual. Oh, God. So that is, in a nutshell, and Herb was always going out at night, and... I wonder if Rick was a, is a serial killer. Uh, I don't know. Probably. But he could be. He could be. Anyway, so they... So all now, of this shit fits together, like, yeah. really. Especially, you got the FBI, and they're like, Yeah. You know. Well, and he fits the profile to a T. Now they've yeah. seen him... They, well, they have his house, they have his license plate, they have his blue car, they have all of it. So they questioned him, and he remained super calm. But the investigator, Tom Green, he said that the, the, like, the pulse in his neck, was like throbbing. his carotid artery was like throbbing <laughs> out of his, like he looked, looked cool, calm, and collected, but he knew he could feel that he was like not actually oh. doing well underneath. So... They tried to get a search warrant, but for some reason, the police in that jurisdiction would not give them the search warrant. Well, Herb comes from a pretty powerful background. Exactly. And it was only three months later that the police caught wind that Julie was divorcing Herb. So when they first went there to the house, Herb and Julie both pretty much, because they asked, can we search your your property? And they said, no, of course not. Without a a warrant, you can't. Yeah, no, you can't. And Julie was like, no. So Julie now filing for divorce three months after, and police actually tried to get her. They went to the house and got her alone, and they told her that they were investigating homosexual homicides, which she was like, "What? Like, what is that? Like, okay, Julie, you had sex literally six times in your <laughs> times. in your long ass marriage. You know that your husband something is different with him, right? So." She still refused to let them in because she was like, no. But she did call her legal advisor, and her legal advisor, pretty much she said to him, she's like, look, I they told me they're investigating homosexual homicides. I'm not really sure what that means. But between you and I, a couple months ago, my son Eric came in the house, and he had a skull. A human skull. A human skull. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, fucking Eric, found a human skull in the yard and brought it in and was like, Mom, like, I found this outside. And she lost it. She she was like, oh, my God. You know, obviously, like, if, if Kierce came in with a human skull, I would be like, except Kierce came home with a different kind of skull. And Carlos was like, let's boil it and get all this stuff. I was like, that's <laughs> disgusting. Anyway, wasn't human or else I would have been like, I hit. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> she asked Herb. She's like, oh, my God, Eric found this skeleton. And he was, like, really cool about it. And he was like, oh, that's just my dad's old. Um, he said he found it in the in the barn. Yeah. And he buried it because he didn't know. It was, like, the medical. Yeah, it was his dad's medical thing. Like, med- But why would you? There's a lot of holes yeah. in that story, obviously. Julie seems like she was in a bit of a river in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, she was a little bit in denial. So... But anyway, like I said, she wanted to keep this between her and her legal advisor, right? So they didn't tell this to police. But police didn't have a warrant, obviously. But what they did is they searched because they thought, okay, if there's people buried there, and if any of them are, you know, if it's Roger or Alan, and it's quite new, um, we can search with something called flu. It's forward-looking infrared it's probably it's heat sensing equipment, yeah. right? So, so again, this is the nineties. Yeah. So on June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety six, finally Julie wants to talk to police because Herb had their son Eric and took him to the Wawawasi and would not bring him back, and yeah. she was kind of worried because he had been having like mood <laughs> kinda. swings, kind of mood swings, and just being very erratic so behaving very erratically and when you have someone's child with you and you're behaving that way that's very worrisome so finally kind of uh, as a tactic she let authorities on her property and let's just say there was a couple times where police looked over at julie and she said you know oh there was a missing pair of handcuffs from the house they find an arm and it has handcuffs Ugh. on it. And she apparently looked like she was about to faint. So they found a lot of bones and it looked to be about 11 bodies in their yard. But they didn't find hardly any skulls. So that kind of tells me that, you know, Herb was doing something with the skulls, but probably pissing in them and <laughs> weird, their urinals or something. So... Right away, they wrote a petition for emergency custody of Eric. So the police went to Wawasi, Wawasi, Wawasi Lake, picked up Eric, but they were like, see you later, Herb. Like, they didn't even, they didn't do anything to Herb. They didn't want him to catch wind of what was going on. But as word got out, and almost three years after Alan and Roger went missing, Herbert Baumeister is finally named on, like, publicly, he's named. So, but... They still didn't arrest him. They still did not arrest him. So at this time, Julie checked her calendar and let the police know that it coincided every time she was away at the lake with the kids, that's when someone went missing. And that's when a murdered, someone murdered was And found. it also coincided as well with all of the bodies that they had been finding on the highway. Yes. So they still, though, after that, they still held out on arresting Herb. So four days after the digging began on Fox Hollow Farms, Herb's brother received a call from Herb asking for money to be sent to him. And he was he said he was in Michigan, right by the Canadian border. So surprise, surprise, the police still didn't do anything. They still didn't. So they, you know what they said in one of the interviews I watched? Like, well, in hindsight, we probably should have had a tail on him. In <laughs> hindsight, yeah, you probably should have. So pretty much they kind of came to the conclusion that the year that they moved into Fox Hollow Farms, that's when all of the bodies stopped appearing appearing on the I-70. Because Herbert got really confident and obviously he's like, well, no one's catching me after 10 years. Why don't I just throw them in my own yard? 
Well, and then, yeah, he also, like, they figure that that's the reason he bought that acreage is because there there was a lot of empty ground for him to be able to do that. So they get a phone call from an Ohio man after this man saw Herb's picture on the news. And this man said, in 1983, I saw Michael Riley, my friend, who went missing and was later found dead in a stream on the side of I-70. They saw him leaving with Herb that night. So... But still, the police did not arrest him. They could have even said, Canadian authorities, this person might try to cross the border because we know he's in Michigan. He now has funds. He's probably going to try to cross into Canada. But no, nothing. Still not notified. Hmm. But on July the 3rd, 1996, Herb Baumeister was found in his car, dead by suicide, a gunshot to the head, in Pinery Provincial Park in Grand Bend, Ontario. So, if you guys are wondering, why, why didn't, there's no trial, there's no nothing. Basically, he killed himself and he took everything with him. And he left a suicide note that had no... Nothing. It, it had, had nothing except for he was ashamed of his financial mm, situation. Yep. His marriage. His marriage, failed marriage. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. But it's funny because the day before he killed himself, not funny, but, you know, haha. Um, ironic. Ironic because he was pulled, he was sleeping in his vehicle and the police, a policewoman went up to his car. He was still very much alive, um, took down his name, took, the, you know, just to be like, okay, well, you're this sleeping in your car, well. but this is a little suspicious, but took down his name, took down his license plate. But if, he, if they had alerted the Canadian authorities, they could have, if they put his name in there, it would have came up with a red flag and he but could have been apprehended. <laughs> no, yeah, probably not. So bone fragments and teeth were both recovered from the site, and it was believed that they belonged to a total of 11 men. However, only eight of the men were actually identified. They were 34-year-old Roger Goodlett, Stephen Hale, Richard Hamilton, Manuel Resendez, Michael Kiern, Johnny Bayer, Alan Broussard, and Jeff Jones. But the total number of suspected victims is actually 21. And because no one will ever know because he took all those secrets with him when he died. So very selfish, Herb. So that was the case of the I-70 Strangler. The They have no other name for him, but that's came to light afterwards. So Herb Baumeister, the creepy urine guy... That's yeah, I, I really, we're going to post some good photos on yeah. our socials, and you yeah. guys will see, like, he <laughs> he's definitely a weird dude. He is, and the mannequins, this whole case just is like, oh, my God, like, oh. I, I really hope that we did well with our <laughs> recording and yeah. that you guys actually watch it, and yeah. we will be coming back to you next month yes. with... A case, case that we haven't chosen yet. So, like we always let say, us know. Let us know. You got let something fucked up and crazy. Let us know. You want to hear us talk about it? Let us know. So, yeah. Until next time, this has been Murder with My Mother, the true crime podcast where I talk murder with my mother. See you later. Bye, guys. <laughs>